This is Beyond the Couch with Bridges, a podcast at the intersection of Asian Pacific Islander, South Asian American identity and mental health. I'm Christy. I'm Sam. And I'm Diana. We are three therapists who got together in the hopes of demystifying therapy and uplifting stories from our community. Each week, we'll connect with fellow therapists, experts, and community members about life, identity, and healing. We're so glad you're joining us today. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Beyond the Couch with Bridges Mental Health. I'm Diana, and I'm joined today by Dr. Matt Poon. Matt is a member of the Bridges Clinician community, and he's a licensed clinical psychologist practicing virtually in New York City. His specialty is in working with high-performing professionals who struggle with perfectionism, work-life balance, and relationship issues. Welcome, Matt. It is so nice to have you here today. Thanks for having me. It's good to see you. Yeah, good to see you too. Um, I really love this community that we have, uh, even though it's very much online. And so anytime there's a chance to even meet online, it's very exciting. Yeah, it's like wild to think that there's like this whole community that exists like everywhere and you're just wanting to meet everybody at least once, at least virtually or in person. Yeah, yeah. Everyone is just like, oh, I know that name. I've seen that name a lot, you know. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, you know, I just gave everybody a brief introduction to you, but I always like to hear from, you know, the guests themselves, um, how you came into the work of being a therapist and just tell us a little bit more about what you do with your clients. Sure. Yeah. So I was one of those kids that like had no idea what they wanted to do growing up. And I felt like everyone else around me like did. And so, you know, I think the entire time, like growing up, I was like, oh, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I was always like encouraged to consider like the good Asian jobs, (laughs) you know, like medicine and law and finance. Um, But I don't think I ever was really interested in those Mm -hmm. things for, you know, various reasons. Um, And then, you know, when it came down to like applying to college, I had no idea what I wanted to major in. Um, And that was around the same time I had met. Um, the school psychologist in my high school, um, Dr. Patrick Murphy, and he completely changed the trajectory of my life. Like I met with him uh, like a handful of times throughout uh, my senior year. And I don't ever like remember any specific like technique or skill that he used, but I just remember the way that he made me feel, mm-hmm. which was like encouraged, supported, validated. He made me laugh a couple of times. And I remember that was like how I want to make other people feel. Um, And so, yeah, I changed all of my applications from undecided to psychology, went to study psychology in college, went straight to grad school, got my master's and my doctorate. um, And then I worked in university counseling centers for seven or eight years. And then uh, I opened my private practice in the middle of 2020, which uh, mm-hmm. The plan was 2020, but I did not plan for, you know, this thing called a global pandemic to kind of happen at the same time. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure that was like a crash course in private practice, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Did you grow up in the New York City area or are you from somewhere else? Yep, born and raised in Queens. And oh. then, yeah, okay. born and raised in Queens. And then, uh, yeah, and then I moved around for like 10 years uh, for school and training. And then I moved mm-hmm. back to New York in 2017. So it's like really nice to be back. Yeah, yeah. I grew up, well, I was born in Queens, but grew up in Long Island, Nassau County. So like right over the border. But oh, yeah, yeah. What yeah. part of Queens? 
Um, well, Elmhurst originally, um, okay. and then Belrose, and then kept moving further out with my family. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Elmhurst also, yeah. Um, but uh, mostly raised in Jamaica. So, oh, okay, real, real, yeah. real queens, real queens. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did. I worked at the Queens Hospital in Jamaica in mm -hmm. my internship, and then also at a clinic in Jamaica when I first started. So I know <laughs> that area well too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got the full experience of it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think it's such a wonderful story, though, that this this person you had a connection with, you know, completely changed your trajectory. Because, you know, when you're young, I guess, you know, when you think about the adults in your life at that time, it's like either your parents or your teachers, right? And here was this like middle ground person who wasn't there to tell you what to do, wasn't there to direct you in any way, but, you know, ended up having a huge impact on you. Yeah, this totally serendipitous which I think was like the best part someone that I never thought I would interact with and mm. had such a big part of like why you know I'm doing the, what, the work I'm doing yeah yeah and also I like the other part of the story which is you know you were being pushed into these other professions that you really weren't that interested in and guess what now today you work with you work with a lot of these people right yes yeah <laughs> my practice is Mostly like healthcare providers, entrepreneurs, people that work in finance, lawyers. So it's really be like, oh, yes, this could have been what my <laughs> life looked like. Could have been um, you. But, and also, yeah. you also empathize, right? Because you know whether, you know, that the pain, perhaps, the pain points, right? <laughs> yes. All of the like struggles to be like perfect and to do it correctly and to go through all of that education and mm. want to see it like, not be used in vain right and so like I totally get it yeah yeah um the pain of not wanting to waste an education or what they studied do you see that in your clients as well like people who are in successful or established careers that are unsure if that's what they want to say in not in my current practice, but I mm -hmm. know for sure when I was working in university mental health, mm -hmm. I would say a lot of the clients I worked with were folks who were studying something that they thought they needed to study because of like either their parents or because it was more of like a prestigious major yeah. um, that when they really wanted to do something like, uh, like most like something creative, like journalism or the music industry or going to art. Um, or psychology even yeah. and they just felt like maybe you know they haven't always received like the support around it so I think a lot of their conflict was like how do I you know potentially like disappoint the people that um, really want me to go into this career when really my heart is leading me into this other one so yeah which you know, leads us closer to today's topic, um, when we put out the call to interview people about important clinical issues or interests, you wrote back because you wanted to talk more about the challenges that millennials, especially of the Asian diaspora, have with perfectionism. And so I'm curious to find out, you know, why was this top of mind for you? And yeah, if you've had your own experience of that, I know you talked a little bit about just being pushed into a direction, but just even, you know, this expectation or this feeling that you, you need to excel and be perfect at everything totally yeah I mean why it was a top of mind for me is because I'm a Chinese American millennial and a <laughs> recovering perfectionist you know aren't we um, all right <laughs> yeah 
And, you know, like, I, I get it to some degree. And, you know, I'm a child of immigrants. And I know what it's like to grow up with immigrant parents who really valued education and hard work, but unintentionally drove this idea that failure was not an option if you wanted to pursue like the American dream as a minority. And so, you know, I think what that looked like was, you know, like I was, you know, I had the dad who, when I showed him a 98, asked me where the two points were, right? Yeah. Or I've been, you know, part of conversations where, you know, like I was the kid that didn't go to an Ivy League or an elite institution. Mm-hmm. Um, or I've, I've had jobs where I was rewarded not for showing progress, but uh, for getting it right the first time. And so, you know, if you think about like all the messaging that we get, um, that we have to digest and absorb about, you know, who we need to be, to be loved, to be successful, we find out that like, we're not being motivated by being perfect, but we're being motivated by the fear of being imperfect. Mm -hmm. And I totally feel that, you know, like, I'm working on it, I continue to work on that stuff. And so I think when I see clients come in and want to work on having a healthier relationship with themselves, I think I can understand where they're coming from. Because being kind to ourselves is not something that we're like necessarily taught. Right. Yeah. Um, so we're taught to, you know, push through, grind, uh, put your head down, do the work. So I think this was something that feels like personal to me, but something that I see a lot of in my practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think what you're describing is, you know, also more than just, you know, family or cultural, but it's also like the society the capitalist sort of like work society that the U.S. exists in, especially if you are born and raised in New York or you grow up Mm -hmm. in a large metropolis like New York where work is such a focus. And when all of this together is supporting this idea that being perfect is a good thing and we should all strive to be, then it's, it's like, okay, well, now I don't see another option, right? What is the other option? I don't see anybody else around me being kind to themselves right or 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 modeling that right so I think that mm-hmm. of course it's like something that we have to learn somehow someone else shows us that this is the other option right yeah we also don't see a lot of like people making mistakes but receiving a lot of grace around it mm-hmm. we see a lot of people like making mistakes and then getting like shamed for it or punished for it or like why would you do that um and so it totally sends a message like, yeah, you can't make mistakes, which totally we do all the time. And that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think that you're right. That's a, a big part. It's like the opposite, right? It's like perfectionism, the cycle of perfectionism, fear of shame, fear of making a mistake mm-hmm. and like continually sort of like raising the standards for oneself. Right. And I can imagine too, like as people, do well right as they move up in their careers the fear is probably increasing over time right Mm -hmm. it's like oh I haven't I haven't made a mistake you know I've I've been but there's gonna be a point where I will right (laughs) at some point yeah I see it all the time in my work with clients where they're uh it always starts off with like one cancellation or one adjustment like oh I'll just cancel this date or plans with my friends to do extra work or I will come back early from my vacation because I don't want to burden my coworkers, right and so this idea of like we need to 
kind of like chasing this perception of perfection. Mm-hmm. Uh, boom, that, that was like a rhyme. Um, <laughs> this, you know, trying to maintain that, right? Like feels really motivating and stressful, um, but it totally gets covered up as soon as we get rewarded. So like when we get like that praise, that uh, promotion, yeah. um, that compliment, it's like, oh, okay, all of that stress was worth it because I got the thing that I wanted or it makes me feel good. But it's like, wait a minute, like you felt like you felt awful while doing it. And like, was that like worth it to feel that way? And I think that part of it is also where we are taught to just like get through things, right? Oh, just tough it out, you know? And so whatever negative feelings we're having about doing is like, oh, that's expected, right? Hard work. Um, It has to feel hard, right? In order uh, for for me to succeed at something, right? You can't just not work hard and succeed. That doesn't seem to make sense, right? That's not what we're shown either. (laughs) I'm over this idea that you have to like struggle to get something done. Like, Mm -hmm. yes, there should be some level of discomfort. But if you're feeling like you're risking it all or putting everything of yourself on the line every time, then you end up like not really feeling like the full pleasure of getting the thing you want. Right. Yeah, there's a difference between, you know, the difficulty of of making an effort versus the fear and anxiety of doing something that you don't want to do that you, you know, you're worried about failing at, you know, that's a very different feeling. Yeah. And do you feel like that is something that you work with your clients on helping them understand that difference and 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 approach things differently? Yeah, I would say like 90% of the work that I'm doing is like all of that, like helping mm-hmm. people. I think one of the things that I see with folks who have like more of a perfectionistic mindset is that their thought process is very binary. And so it's like, I need to succeed or fail, or I need to be right or wrong, good or bad, or like I need to win or lose. And it like feels so limiting when you're feeling like those are your only options. Um, so I feel like a mm-hmm. lot of the work I'm doing with folks is really helping them see that there's so much in between that like you can be, you cannot get a job and still be qualified for it. Um, like you mm-hmm. can disappoint like a loved one and they'll still love you. Or mm-hmm. you can be super successful at your job or your relationship and like make mistakes from time to time. Like this idea that, you know, you have to either be one or the other is super exhausting. Um, So I think a lot of the work I'm doing is helping folks just to kind of expand their idea that there's more than two options when they think about themselves. Yeah. And I think that mindset isn't even something that people are aware of as something they've internalized because it's just present in so many different layers of society, right? It's not that people are intentionally trying to make everything black and white, right? It's Mm -hmm. just that, oh, well, this is the system that I grew up in. And, you know, this grade is a good grade. This grade is not so good grade, right? Like everything is being assessed. And so, of course, it's natural to grow up thinking like that, unless, you know, you've had other experiences where people intentionally, you know, pulled you aside and said, you know, in this situation, you know, this is another lesson to take away from it, right? Not just that you failed and that's it, right? Yeah, I mean, I can only count like on one hand, like the number of times I've been told like, just try your best, right? Like, <laughs> like yeah, we were probably told like, you know, do it for the team or like, yeah. uh, you have to win this, right? Like, 
Yeah. Uh, but the idea of like mm-hmm. trying your best is like, it's, yeah, I don't, it's hard. Yeah. I mean, that sounds like it came from some sort of team sports, what you said. Yeah. About two, yeah. And I'm thinking back, oh yeah, I don't think there was ever like, just try your best. Like, no, it's all you, you've got this, yeah. you know? Oh, okay. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's competition across all areas of, of childhood and um, schooling for sure. Yeah. And I'd say, you know, right now, like, I feel like maybe like 75 to 80% of my clientele identifies Asian, Asian American, which is like a dream for me and awesome. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. a common theme that I see in my work with them is this idea of like chasing this perfection or wanting to be like the perfect person. And so it does show up, I think, a lot more than like maybe we're always talking about or we get a chance to talk about. And can you talk a little bit more about how perfectionism impacts people, whether it's in their life, their career and relationships? When we think about perfectionism, particularly in the Asian American community, I think one thing is that we're not only just representing ourselves, we're representing like every single family member that came before us, right? And so that is like mm-hmm. such a burden to carry. And so it's like, we don't want to be like the talk of the town or we don't want to be the talk amongst the aunties and the uncles. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I feel like that type of pressure transcends outside of childhood into our adulthood and then shows up in like our friendships, our relationships, our work life. And I think that can be kind of tough to kind of unlearn. Which I feel like learning something's hard, but I feel like unlearning something is even harder. And to kind of get past that case is really difficult. And I feel like to some degree, some of that pressure shows up across races. I think the difference Mm -hmm. with Asian, Asian Americans is that we have this sense of perfectionism baked into our DNA through history and through like the model minority myth, right? So this idea that we have Mm -hmm. to like essentially succeed and make it look effortless. Like we have to keep our mouth shut or heads down and do the work. And I think it makes it really hard for our community to feel like we can say we need help or that we're struggling because we have been told over across time and across history that we essentially have to be model citizens. And I think that is tough to feel that level of pressure, not only from our families, but then like systemically and culturally and historically. Um, and so I think how that shows up in relationships and work life is, you know, kind of what I was saying before is that it always starts off with like one cancellation or one adjustment that doesn't feel like a big deal, but starts to domino. And we end up, you know, being willing to sacrifice things like kind of like small conveniences first. And then it's, Mm-hmm. necessities and then it's our values just to maintain this perception of perfection that type of motivation is not sustainable and so just being contingent and I think that's something that is really difficult to unlearn particularly if it's been kind of like validated or reinforced through like compliments praises promotions mm-hmm. like getting the thing that you wanted right yeah what sort of I guess opposite actions have you observed with people or, or worked with people on to it's almost like the unlearning, right? Like, okay. So if, if it starts with one thing on the opposite end, what does progress look like? So to practice this, I operate from more of like a mindfulness-based approach. So Mm -hmm. my training has been mostly in like acceptance and commitment therapy, kind of like third wave behavioral approaches. Um, And so I take more of like a functional analysis, like cost benefit analysis approach 
And for me, it's helpful to understand like, you know, like you probably are benefiting from chasing perfection, right? And so it makes sense why you continue to do that. But like, help me also yeah. understand like what you lose by doing so. Um, and that really helps me and then helps, I think my clients see that maybe the costs outweigh the benefits. And for us to really then think about like, are there any other ways that we can kind of like still get you the sense of feeling competent and adequate and uh, loved while also not feeling like you have to like compromise or sacrifice your values or yourself um, or the things that you love to do. Yeah. And I think just spending time to think through all this can be really illuminating for people who are just like focused on, you know, getting to that next carrot or whatever that next achievement is, right? It's like if if we all just could stop a little bit longer and think about what we're actually doing, we might immediately see some things, right? But I think a lot of times we're on such a path, um, have a plan and like, you know, there's too much to do anyway in limited time. So there's no reflection happening. Um, so I think even being able to do that with someone, sit them down and have them reflect is like such a huge help. Yeah. And so what are some suggestions or tips you might have for someone who's listening today and is working on this issue? Uh, that kind of what you were saying about like chasing carrots, I feel like we are all like on the Olympic track team, but in our own lanes chasing carrots. Like we don't <laughs> like see that everyone around us is going through the same thing. We feel like we're the only person going through it. And I, and I would say like, something that could be helpful is to know that you're not the only one. Uh, do you know about like the Cigna loneliness study that they did? Hmm. No. Uh, who is it? Uh, done by? Cigna? Is it? Cigna, the insurance Cigna. Company. Yeah. Oh, Cigna. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. They did this uh, loneliness study in 2018. I think they've done it now like every two years now. But in 2018, they essentially talked about like contributors to loneliness. And this was before COVID had happened. Um, and so they had talked about how Millennials and Gen Z are the reported like most lonely generation compared to our parents and grandparents and great grandparents, which to me is, tells me that like millennials and Gen Z, we're essentially like, going through all these things and like doing it by ourselves or feeling more alone mm -hmm. or feel like we can't talk about it um, with other people because then it would give us away, right? It would expose us when really the best things that we can do is really talk about it with other people because then we don't feel as alone in it. Yeah, I think all forms of validation are so helpful in the form of knowing that other people are going through this as well. But even going back to what you said earlier about, you know, sitting down with someone to, to do an inventory of their behaviors and what they're doing. And, you know, it makes sense that you have been behaving this way because you are you are achieving your goals, right? And so I think that helps people get the context like, oh, okay. And there's, you know, nothing wrong with me. It makes sense that I'm doing this, right? It's not that I'm trying to hurt myself. It's just that this is the context mm -hmm. and now my, my behavior makes sense. Right. And so I think that's really helpful just to, you know, create some acceptance and um, make it less shameful, right. That we, we might acknowledge something that we're doing is not good for us. Yeah. And I think it makes it then easier for other people to talk about it with other people. And then it starts this own chain mm -hmm. because like Asian yeah. Americans are the least likely ethnic population to seek out mental health services. And so, you know, yeah. that means 
that were essentially doing things by ourselves and were struggling alone and silently, right? Yeah. And so yeah. I've certainly seen it in this like in the last like five to ten years, like a lot more conversation happening, a lot more access too. And so I feel mm-hmm. encouraged that I do think it's getting better. Um, but yeah, I certainly think that there can be you know more room for more conversations around some of this. Yeah, I think, you know, while social media is not always a good thing, the fact that there are, you know, more accounts related to therapy and seeing more Asian therapists talk about their experiences of being Asian therapists and even like the fact that we've connected, right? Like all of us were individually practicing as therapists in our own little neighborhoods. But meanwhile, we didn't realize there's so many other Asian therapists in New York City, right? Mm-hmm. And so just being in this community together, it feels very different from, you know, before I knew people were out there. Yeah, I know there are people out there, but I don't know them, right? But now it really feels like, yeah, there's there's definitely a growing group of therapists who are Asian, right? And working with the Asian community, which feels good, right? It feels like there's progress. Yeah, it feels like we have a lot of people that we're not necessarily competing again, but feeling like we're supporting and like connected with each other. Mm -hmm. And that feels really nice. Yeah, definitely. And in the last few minutes, I wanted to go back to something that we had started talking about before we were recording. And, you know, we talked a little about social media, but I want to hear from you. What are some things related to therapy that you hear as a therapist or you see online on social media that you're just really tired of? (laughs) um, I said this earlier, but I could do like a whole hour on things that I've had it with. Um, I would say first, I, I will preface this by saying that I think it's awesome that there's much more access to mental health and therapy yes. language, because I think it does, it has helped a lot of people really verbalize uh, and understand what they're going through. Um, but I would say some words that I feel like are being overused and used incorrectly are gaslighting, narcissist, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and probably, uh, toxic is not as bad. Um, but yeah, I've heard that a lot. I've heard toxic. Yeah. Everything. I've heard toxic a lot too. And you don't think that's as bad? Like it doesn't bother you as much? It doesn't bother me <laughs> as much as the other two. How about you? What are words? I mean, processing, maybe. Processing. <laughs> um, well, I think it's just something to get used to because I think it's, I've only, in the past, I've really only heard it once I started training to become a therapist, right? So it felt like a like new language to me, mm-hmm. like, oh, these words, right? And now I hear everybody using it. And it's, it's interesting, because, I mean, it's a good thing, like you said, I think overall, it's a good thing that people are, are more aware. But sometimes language can be distancing as well. And yeah, you're saying all the right words, but like what what's underneath that yeah you know that's more important right for sure and I feel like those type of words can sometimes also shut down a conversation and not really get to like what you're saying like the root of the problem um so as soon as you know you say like oh you're gaslighting me like oh god like or like like, oh it's it's a character assassination and now I'm going to use this intellectual word to categorize you and now yeah yeah. where are we meeting nowhere (laughs) yeah where like you know I think it's helpful for therapists including myself like I'm trying to actively like be thoughtful about using those words and like actually trying not to use those words 
as much anymore. I'm trying to find other words mm -hmm. to describe the same thing. Just describe yeah. it, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I think it's been helpful to understand like what people's understanding of those words are and to kind of like break that down and demystify and get correct corrected a little bit. Like mm -hmm. not everyone arguing with you or debating with you is gaslighting you, right? Or like mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. not everybody that shares about or like promotion is a narcissist, right? Mm -hmm. um, so it's really hard when I do think that these words have helped people understand their experience, understand other people's behavior. But it yeah. also, like you said, I think can also be used to like create a lot of distance in relationships, um, which is totally the opposite of, you know, what we should be striving for. This has been such a pleasure talking with you today. And I would love to have you share with our listeners today, if they want to connect with you, talk with you, how can they find you? Yeah, thanks for having me. I feel like I could do this all day. Um, it was so much fun. Um, if folks want to connect with me, uh, my website is www.drmattpoon.com. I also have an Instagram um, for my practice uh, at Dr. Matt Poon. I post uh, like fun, uh, kind of like pop psychology, like ways of uh, thinking about things, uh, coping with things. That's you know another avenue that you can connect with me too. Thank you so much for being here, offering your knowledge and your expertise to our listeners. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Diana. All right. Take care. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Beyond the Couch. Tune in every Wednesday, rate or review us to help grow our community, and subscribe so you don't miss our next episode. We'd love to hear from you, so connect with us on Instagram at Bridges Mental Health. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>